Hi, I'm David Henley. I'm a science fiction writer and I'm producer at seizureonline.com. I write in a very in a futuristic world set in 150 years from now, basically in a time where anything humanity's thought of doing, they've done it, and so most of that went wrong, and now there's a telepathic eight-year-old running around just taking the whole place over. I did try writing contemporary stories back in my uh, after-college days, but uh, I found people could never let you just be a fiction writer. They would keep going, and which character are you? And when did you do this? And stuff like that. So, and when you're writing about things in the contemporary world, it's going to be about, I don't know, shady business dealings or having an affair and that sort of thing. So it, doesn't felt, it didn't feel like there was room for actual fiction writing because everyone's just obsessed about the reality for the author. Um, so that partly pushed me towards... Um, safer territory like science fiction where you can start, you can take the gloves off, you can talk about whatever you want, you can talk about race, you can talk about what technology is doing, you can talk about politics without uh, those groups immediately leaping on you. I particularly like exploring how politics works and how social politics works. So, so just how I don't necessarily. You always hear the thing that democracy is the best form of government, um, and I just thought, well, actually, I think we could talk about doing a little better. But in the real world, people just get no, no, no. It's the best, and capitalism's the best, and they they, they think that argument's done. So it's just like, well, I think there's there's more room to play, and even if it is the best, we can still talk about it. Mm. So anything like that. And we were talking about the science and science fiction. So we had two. Uh, two fiction writers, me and Scott Baker, and we had a physicist from the UK, uh, Jim Al-Khalili, and Dr. Carl was hosting. So it was, it was good. It was a good uh, back and forth between them talking about what's, what annoys them in the world when science is misperceived and that sort of thing, and us talking about what we'd like to break in, when we're writing fiction and why. What would you like to break when you're writing? Oh, well... We did get into a, you know, we tried not to get heated about breaking the laws of physics, but we started to talk about, no, there are more theories of physics. If we just stopped calling them laws, then the scientists would be happy and we would be happy. Um, but we, we did get into a bit of time travel as to which, which way it's going to work because, you know, even though they have these different theories of time, nobody really knows the nature of time yet, if it's a thing, you know. I try not to do stories which actually revolve around the science and go, well, here's the equation, the chemical equation that I'm using to perform this thing, because it's like, well, that's not actually that interesting a story. I like to let um, the science research I do form the rules of the world. So I try not, I try to stick to what I we know it works and that sort of thing, or what we can see on the horizon, and let that form the world, and then the story just takes place in it. It's too bad the rest have made it all their own. When I'm just putting a story together, I will often start uh, with my laptop using Scrivener and start blocking out the timing of my plot and go, here's a folder and this is the intro, it'll be 5,000 words and I go through part five, part, all the way through and start outlining scenes and then I'll just start taking notes <clears throat> largely randomly, whatever comes to mind um, either in a notebook or in my notes app on my phone and then I just, eventually that'll form a mountain which I then resort back in Scrivener and then get pull back to notebooks and Go, sort of go in a loop. I do a lot of my sorting out at home, like because the, the, the apartment I'm in has a nice rooftop which nobody else goes to, so I get to go and do a lot of my sorting out there. Um, has a nice view, but when I'm 
trying to come up with a scene or there's something I'm struggling with, I just like to go somewhere sort of noisy, there's people around. Um, I don't know if that's just a sort of challenge for myself. So it's like I have to be able to maintain my own attention with the stuff happening around me. So that pushes me to write something which is more gripping to me than if I'm sitting there quietly, yeah, drift off. So libraries don't push me to write very well. Quiet spaces don't push me. I mean, I, I try to. I try to. Sometimes you, you, you'll be sitting somewhere and you'll go, well, "What would be different in 150 years, and what technology would have changed this interaction?" And sometimes it's just replacing things. Like, okay, we probably will have robots carrying the coffee to the table. Um, um, our handheld devices will look different, or we may have computers uh, directly attached to our bodies, which are under under our shirts or something like that. But essentially, the human bit is still happening. Except they maybe they're sitting there completely blanked out on the web, updating their, their their status. Humanity doesn't change as much as we often think. They still behave exactly the same. Because you know, coffee houses have been around for two hundred years. People just show up, they talk, they they do their thing. Well, basically, I look at any technology we have now and go, what's next? Um, and so computers are getting faster, uh, smarter. The software is getting better. They've just started to introduce uh, that Watson thinking uh, based nearly, no, not an AI sort of thing, but super supercomputer in a box, um, which everyone's going to be able to access, and then we're going to start having apps around that. So it's basically how the human and machine overlap starts to happen. Um, so mm. once they've, what they, they've started to play with reading the brain signals for emotions and different words and that sort of thing, and that's, so we're just at the beginning of that. So in 100 years, if they have actually managed to figure out how the body communicates, then it's not such a big leap to then go, well, let's just plug straight in. We're finishing off the Stories of Sydney project, which is a partnership with Sweatshop, the Western Sydney Writing Group, uh, with Michael Muhammad Ahmed, and that's 15 stories uh, from 15 writers in Sydney. And it's a, it's a pretty strange collection. Yeah. But it's, pretty, but it's, it's really good. What are it's some not, stories? It's not going to be like other uh, Sydney... Sydney uh, collections where it's largely I love this place uh, one, of, one, of, one, of the, one of the standout writers or the stories is going to be from Peter Polites I think because it's probably the most shocking of them in terms of how he sees he's, he seems to have, he's, he's created in crime noir Sydney um, but it's also a bit like Chinatown with Jack Nicholson kind of world and the Western Sydney guys really don't hold back on the PC thing like everyone else does so if they want to say something about a race they're going to say something about a race if they want to make a broad sweeping classification about an entire people then that's what they're going to do um, which is funny if you can laugh at it but other people I think are going to get pretty offended and then you get to cross that with people like we've got PM Newton the crime writer in it and she's written quite a kind of an emotional look back at different times in her life. And then we have Nick Marland, who's written about a uh, pub which may or may not be fictional, but it sort of typifies the whole changing uh, landscape and, and the way the people of Australia have been uh, through this macrocosm of a pub. The seizure's always looking for people to work with. We like being a platform, so we managed to start working with Michael Muhammad Ahmed, and um, he gets tired of Western Sydney being ignored by the rest of the, the rest of uh, Australia, or and they then they, they think they've, they've they've got a lot of writers out there, and they've got a very different culture. They've got hundreds of peoples coming together in different ways, sometimes by choice, sometimes not, and they're seeing a very different Australia, which is fascinating. Um, and actually, all the all the people from that group 
have a voice because I've been working in publishing for a while and it's like actually after you after start working with these people you're just like yeah okay that's interesting you, you, no matter what you do you've got a different perspective than what is getting published by and large um, so he was, he, was, he, was, he was maybe one of the driving forces from that um, but we also wanted to do a collection based in on place to sort of branch away from the magazine and go that's right we want to do a, a story sort of collection and we kind of hoped to go and do other places like Canberra at some point awesome. love to do Perth it's funny because and the, some of the ways I like to write, like when I'm sorting out a problem, I actually just like to walk across the city. And I do think I draw on the fact that we're all, even though we're together, we're crammed together, nothing really works the way it should. That's like something I get to draw on and I'm tapping away at my phone trying not to bump into people. And it's like, yeah, this is what it's going to be like in the future. Nobody will be looking at each other because we won't need to. It'll be in my heads up display. <laughs> if I'm even walking, I might just be lying in a couch somewhere thinking I'm walking. Wearing guru glasses. Yeah, I'm just I'm just in a remote body <laughs> somewhere else. You've been listening to a Writer's Blogcast. Head to our blog on thewritersblog.net. You can also find all of our Blogcast episodes there and subscribe to us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.